Good morning, my name is Dan Margulies. I'm filling in for Rabbi Linzer. Today is the 9th of Elul, and that means that it is September 12th. And we are picking up on Kuf Gimel Amud Bet, uh, five lines from the bottom. The Gemara had been discussing to what extent the Mishnah could be attributed to either Rabbi Akiva or Rabbi Tarfon, because the Mishnah has a statement. The Mishnah says that if you steal from someone, at least a minimal value, Shevet Pruta, Vinishbalo, and you swore falsely about it in this case, and then the person, the Goslin, the thief, has to pay it back, he even has to take it as far as Madai. Yolichenu Acharav le Madai. Take it as far as Madai, presumably a, a, a very uh, far travel. In other words, Persia. somewhere in Persia, but presumably the presumption, again, how much is it anachronistic to be saying Madai as opposed to any other nation, but that was the mission statement, and the Gemara had tried to say that, well, this might be related to Machloka between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon about um, a case of a person stole from one of five people, but didn't know which of those five people he had stolen from. So, in order to have to pay it back, Rabbi Tarfon says you could just leave it with those five people. And Rabbi Akiva says, no, you actually have to try to pay back to all five of them. So the, the Gemara had tried to suggest that our Mishnah could be connected to that to that Machloket, um, and that it would seem like the Mishnah would be according to Rabbi Akiva. But that had been rejected. So the Gemara continues, uh, where we're picking up five lines from the bottom on Kufki Mulamud Bet, Rabbi Tarfon, he know it must be the Mishnah must be within Rabbi Tarfon's opinion. And Rabbi Tarfon must agree that in a case where the person swore that he actually has a very high level of responsibility to pay back. That is, normally Rabbi Tarfon would say you could just kind of leave it and, and you're done. That is, if the thief is paying back what was stolen, he can just leave it with a reasonable uh, approximation of what is paying back but that would be enough but in the case where he had sworn in this case sworn falsely about what he stole then he has a higher level of responsibility because he's done something worse and that makes it to the point where even Rabbi Tarfan would agree to Rabbi Akiva that he has a higher level of responsibility perhaps that's the suggestion so we say my time at the Kamar Kra la'asher hulo because the Pasuk says la'asher hulo that is whoever whoever's property was stolen. That's who, to whom you have the responsibility to return it. So, you have to give it to him on the day of guilt. That is, there's a korban asham, there's a guilt offering that's brought for the theft, and the level of, that is, when it's something that is uh, liable to cause you to bring a guilt offering, uh, korban asham, then you also have this higher level of liability or higher level of responsibility to give it to the person. That is not just to leave it in a place where the person to whom it is owed could figure out how to get it, but actually to give it to him directly. Okay, the Rabbi Akiva. So then it still seems like Rabbi Akiva's position. So Rabbi Akiva, the Mishtaba Kanis. Rabbi Akiva thinks that you have to make that level of payment even if you did not swear. That is, the difference between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon is on, that Rabbi Tarfon only agrees to Rabbi Akiva if you swore falsely. But it, uh, Rabbi Akiva says it whether or not you swore. But Rabbi Tarfon, Okay, So, and Rabbi Tarfon, basically the point is that Rabbi Tarfon's opinion is that when you did swear is, is more severe than if you didn't swear. Okay, so my Yerbenishba, so then why, is it, why does the Mishnah have to come and teach me that, that about the right, so oath, right? Okay, so that's the connection. Is that the, 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 the Pasuk seems to connect the idea of the Korban to the idea of the, 
the higher level of, of liability or responsibility to pay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right, so that you're being asked what Rabbi Kiva would say. I mean, what would he say back to Rabbi Tarfur? We're going to have to see. I mean, it's going to be rejected. That, that's part of it, which is that we actually want the Mishnah to fit with Rabbi Akiva. We don't want the Mishnah to only be a Rabbi Tarfur, so that's going to be, Rabbi is going to come and give an alternate suggestion. Um, okay. So, so there should be even without a Shavuah also. That is uh, Rabbi Akiva's position. That is, Rabbi Tarfur should even be able to agree with Rabbi Akiva whole, uh, whole, uh, the whole position. So, Rabbi Tarfon agrees. We have another version of Rabbi Tarfon's opinion. This is the second last line. So, the Brisa says, Rabbi Tarfon agrees to Rabbi Akiva if he said to two people, I stole from one of you, Mane, a hundred, a hundred dinars, and I don't know which one of you I stole from. So, this is similar to the case we already saw. Okay. No, so that's like Rabbi Akiva's position. He has to pay both of them. Why does Rabbi Tarfon agree to Rabbi Akiva in that case? There was no oath in this case. He didn't swear. Why? Shikvar hodem piatmo. He admitted it. That's different. That's not that he took an oath and then he was proven to be swearing falsely. Here, he just admitted it. He went to them and said, I stole from one of you and I don't know which, and he was, he was admitting it. So admitting it is also considered a higher level of responsibility. If he had been denying it, or if he had been resisting coming to court, or there was a low level of admissibility, then he wouldn't have the same level of liability. But here, since he admitted it, he has a higher level. Okay. Ella Amarava. So now, our Gemara says Ella Amarava. Tosfos has a discussion. Perhaps the Gemara does not have the word Ella. If it has the word Ella, then this is an alternate position. That is, we've rejected the Rebbe Tarfon line of reasoning and we're in a new approach. And that's the approach that Rashi takes. If the Gemara is lacking the word Ella, then this is an elaboration or an extension of the Rebbe Tarfon position. So it's a little bit of an interesting question, but it seems like it makes more sense to say Ella. So, wait, so Rebbe Tarfon would say that if I admit it, then I have to pay back everybody. If I swear, I have to pay back everybody. If you swear and, and prove it false. Kind of get me, but not really. They're eating the coffee. <coughs> they're not really admitting it, but they're not, you know, kosher eating. Well, admitting it means admitting it before the witnesses come, obviously. No, Otherwise, but then they'd have to pay back either of them. So when would you say that you only have to make it because they live in? That's what I'm trying to understand. When the, the person comes and then Rabbi Tarfon says, so he, he shows up, so they claim, okay, you stole from us, and he says, I don't know. And then the court will say, okay, you have so to leave. He's being prompted. Right. There's witnesses, and that's already Kato. Well, for sure. Oh, oh, everything is going to have... Right. If there are witnesses, then, it, then there's no question about... But then it's not going to be... A, if there are witnesses about who he stole from, right. then, it, then he's going to know who he has to pay. Right. So that's my point. So when does he actually say his position? His position is either he admitted it himself. No, he needs to pay. Uh, oh no! So that's the point where there are no witnesses. The guys come and take him to court, and he says, "Yeah, I agree. I stole from somebody." So he gives a hundred dollars, and they have to fight over it, or or the court has to decide how to split it up. That's exactly the point. Uh, and actually, there are many different ways to resolve a, uh, an ambiguous case like that. There are like five. That is a whole discussion because many different you go that talk about money that's in dispute in a case like that where it's doubtful whose ownership it is. There are at least five different avenues for how how that gets resolved. So okay. So once he admits it, or once he took a false oath and was proven to have been lying, that means that he's now entrenched himself in his liability to such, such an extent that we're going to say, you're not going to get off easy by paying however much you stole. Since you've already admitted to it or been proven to have been uh, something fishy was going on, 
We're going to actually make you pay back to everyone. And, and again, that's an interesting question. We're going to see Rava has an alternative uh, explanation. So what does Rava say? El Amar Rava, Shani Matnitin. The Mishnah is different than this Mishnah case, the, the, the case that was brought as a comparison. That is, stop trying to make the Mishnah compare to the Machloket between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon. Why? The Mishnah is talking about what? The Mishnah is talking about he knows exactly who he stole from. The issue is just that this person is very far away. So his liability to pay back extends even that he has to travel a far distance. That's very different than not knowing who you stole from and just leaving it uh, in the court for, the, for those parties to, to divide between themselves. So Rav says, stop trying to compare those two. Those are two very different kind of cases. Shiny He knows who he stole from. The Odile. And he admitted to him. So because he can return the money to its owner at that point. It's like the, it's like the Nigzal at that point had appointed him already like a Shomer to guard the money. That is, the guy admitted, knows who he stole from. The guy has admitted it in court already. At this point, I have this money sitting in my hand ready to pay back. So that's like, it's like we saw the sum of the Sugyot earlier. Uh, things like that. That it's ready to be paid back already. It's like it could be seen as if it's already been paid back. It's as if the Nigzal, the one who was stolen from, said to him, It's like he's a Shomer Picadon now. He's no longer a Gazlan who's trying to pay back what he stole. Now he's basically been transformed into a Shomer. And at that point, he has a different level of liability. So if he swears, imagine it's like a Shomer taking a Shua. So in what sense? But the point is that, since he's already now at this point a Shomer, um, the fact is he needs Kapara. He needs some kind of restitution, atonement for what he's done wrong, and, and that can only be resolved once it gets back to the rightful owner. Okay? But if he did not swear, So then it's just like he has the picadon in his hand until the owner comes and gets it. That is, he's just watching the money. It's sitting in his wallet. Okay, he's guarding it. But he has no liability. So if he didn't swear... So then he doesn't have to go to Madai. He's watching it for the owner. The owner wants to come get it. The owner has to come get it. Because he's already... In the Zivir yeah. Right. So the, the argument, at least according to the way the Gemara reads it, uh, the Gemara has the word Ella, it would be Ledivri Hakol. Both Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon should agree to this Mishnah, which is the best answer. Uh, it's a, it, it solves all of our Machloket questions. We try to minimize the Machloket. So according to the way Rava reads the Gemara, according to the way the Gemara, uh, the way Rava reads the Mishnah, according to our Gemara that has the word Ella, this is Ledivri Hakol. Everyone should agree. If he swears, well then he's like a Shomer who... who uh, took the money inappropriately and has sworn to try to protect himself and then has been proven false. At that point, he's violated the terms of the Shmira, so he has to make kapara. He has to atone for what he's done wrong. He has to actually pay it back. But if he, ha- if he didn't take an oath at all, well, then he's basically just like a showman. He's watching the money until the owner comes to get it. And this is even if the cost of the trip is far in excess of the... Well, that's an interesting question. To what extent? So we're going to see now the question of shaliach. Could he send it with someone else? So the Mishnah had said that you're not allowed to pay the money with a shaliach, right? The Mishnah says, lo yitain, lo livnov, lo lishlucho. Yeah. You can't give it... Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, you're right? Right. So, um, if he 
Medea. Ah, so but that's all. Remember, that was back when we were trying to compare our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is about a case where he does know who he stole it from. Okay. And the problem is that it's very far away. We had tried to compare that to a case, a machloket, between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon about a case where a person doesn't know who he stole from. And that he has to either, he has to pay everyone, or he has to just leave it in a kind of escrow and then they're going to fight over it. So those possibilities, that machloket, is in a case where he doesn't know who he stole it from. The Mishnah was about a case where he did know who he stole it from. And Rava's point is that stop trying to equate those two cases. They're actually very different. Rava says, in a case where you know who you stole it from, that's exactly what he says. Matnitin in the Mishnah, the Kivan Laman Gazlei, he knows who he stole it from, the Odile, and he had admitted it. At that point, his his role transfers from being a Gazlan more to being like a Shomer. Because he, he knows who he has to pay. He's admitted that he's liable. At this point, he has a responsibility to pay, but he's holding the money so he can go pay whenever he's ready. Right, and does he have to have a communication with that person who says, I have the money, I... Well, we're going to see at that point. Meaning, obviously, there has to have been some kind of a court case in the some, some sense to have created something like that. But part of it is that this is operating much more automatically than you might have expected, right? You, you can't just sort of become a showmare usually yeah. without the person well, asking you to watch the money. person who the money was stolen from, does he have to give the uh, robber permission to hold on to the money? Before, no, it says back. it's like he had said. So that's exactly the point. It's right. kind of like an automatic status change. Kind of strange, but it's a strange thing. You know, he's really a godsman, right? He really he's a godsman. Yeah. He's really a godsman. So if he, if he takes an oath, he can be treated like a showman. No, even if he doesn't take an oath. He admitted that he stole. Right. right? He knows who he has to pay back. He admitted that he stole. Right. At this point, that transforms him to be like a showmare. Yeah. Right. It's as if, command Amarle, you leave the It's like the owner said, okay, watch the money for me until I, I can get it. the logic of that from the perspective of, I guess, justice? It's like, why do we trust this guy? Yeah. He's a thief. Right. Like, I, like, I don't get that. Like, right. Well, I, well, he admitted it. Right? Like, you can't make people go to Medea to, to return $5. But they do have to go. They do. Right? right? No, but that's what I was saying earlier, that the... the, the I think it applies where he left it, where he settled it. That kind of was that it, it cost so much money to go relative to what. Well, we, got, we have to continue. That's from yesterday's staff. We have to continue. There's no, a lot. I know, right? but we have a lot more to do. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. 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 The Mishnah has said, Lo yitain, lo livno, lo lishlucho. When the thief is trying to pay it back, he can't give it either to his son or to his shaliach, or actually either even to the son or the shaliach of the person he stole it from either. So the Gemara says, Itmar. What, what's the case that we're going to discuss? Shaliach shasa obeidim. What about a, a special shaliach? The shaliach was appointed with witnesses. That is, normally, or we're going to see. So the question is, normally when you appoint a shaliach, you don't need witnesses. You just ask someone to do something for you. If you appoint a shaliach with witnesses, presumably the fact that you called witnesses there to watch you appointing the shaliach should give it a certain layer of depth, a certain layer of re- uh, higher responsibility. Uh, so we're going to see. So that's the question. So what is the case? Shaliach shasa obeyed. Rav Chizda Amar Havi Shaliach. So Rav Chizda says, in that case, the shaliach could work like a shaliach, meaning in our case. Meaning what? Meaning that when the thief pays the shaliach, at that point, the shaliach, well, he counts like, presumably the nigzal has made the shaliach to go get the money. Let's consider it like that. So then, when the thief pays the shaliach, well, it's like he already paid the guy he owes. So if something happens along the way, who's, who's responsible? The nigzal will be responsible. So if the money gets lost, 
That's tough luck. He can't go back and claim it a second time because it already got into the control of his shaliach. So that's what he says. Havi shaliach. Rabbah Amar lo havi shaliach. Rabbah says, no, he doesn't count it as a shaliach because the Mishnah said you can't give it to shaliach. So even if it's a shaliach that was made with witnesses, it's not, you can't rely on the shaliach and therefore it only counts as having been paid back when it gets, finally, gets to the, the rightful owner. Rav Chizda Amar havi shaliach. Rav Chizda says he is a shaliach. Lahachi tarchi ve'ukme ve'edim. Uh, because that's the whole reason why he tried to have these witnesses come and to make him a shaliach was that he should stand in his place. Okay. What advantage does he get by doing that? In other words, he doesn't get an advantage. What? It actually is it, it reduces his life. Why do you want to do this? Uh, convenience, meaning convenience. neither. But this guy is like a shaliach, uh, he's like a shomer, so he's going to stay in France, and he's not going to want to go to to Madai, so he's going to stay there for years and years and years. I'm never going to get my money back. So I said, if I ever want to get the money back, I'm going to have to go and send the shaliach to get it from right. him. Okay, but so that's the question, right? <laughs> okay, so that's a good question. The question is what happens if you did it? It's a better question. Meaning, right now, this is a way to discuss the status of the shaliach, even if it would be impractical for him to have a point in that way. Well, we're going to get to that's going to be on the next Amud. We have to get there. Okay. Okay. We're going to get there. It's at the top of the next Amud. Okay. Rabba Amar Lohavi Shaliach. Rabba says he doesn't count as a shaliach. Hachi Kamar Inish Mehamnehu. So Isa Machsamot. So the only meaning the, the reason you made this guy a shaliach with witnesses is not to actually affect him to be your shaliach. It's only to prove or to show that you indicate that you think he's a trustworthy guy. But nonetheless, it doesn't mean that he actually has a halachic standing of a shaliach. Because in this case, the Mishnah has said you can't make a shaliach, or the shaliach doesn't work as a shaliach. Okay. So we're going to have to see. This machlokis, Rav Chizda and Raba, is parallel, it seems, to this Mishnah. Tanan. This is Mishnah in Bava Metziah. Hasho elatapara. If you borrow someone's cow, vishilcha biyad beno biyad abdo biyad shulcho, and you send it either with your son or your slave or your shaliach, oh, biyad beno biyad abdo biyad shulcho shoel, or you sent it with the son, the slave, or the shaliach of the person borrowing it, umeta, and the cow died, patur. That is, whoever you sent it with, between the owner and the shoel, the borrower, the cow died in transit. So, he's patur, that is, the shoel is patur. Normally, a shoel has very high level of liability, because a shoel is entitled to use the object, etc., etc., so a shoel has a very high level of, of liability as well. Nonetheless, in this case, the shoel is not liable, because he never got it, even though it was sent even in his shaliach or his son or his slave, someone like that. Okay. So that so, uh, Rabba's position. Ah, it sounds like it fits Rabba's position. That is, in, even in a case where maybe we would think shaliach wouldn't work, but nonetheless, uh, so no, it's a proof, right, that, that, he, that a shaliach in a similar case would not, would not work. Okay. So, hi, shlucho, hey, chidami. What does it mean that it was his shaliach? If it's a shaliach who was not made with witnesses, so then how do we know that he was the shaliach? Meaning it was just some guy. Meaning that's the question with any shaliach. Exactly, yeah. Meaning there's no pub- publicity about having been made a shaliach. So how can we know about the liability if he was sent with the shaliach? Ella the asa So maybe it's a case where he made the shaliach with witnesses, the katani de patur, and that says that he's patur, that is, 
even a case where we would we w- might have thought there should be liability if you make the the shaliach with witnesses. We know for sure that he made him with with his shaliach. Nonetheless, he's uh, uh, exempt. So kashil Rav Chizda, that's a good question against Rav Chizda. It sounds like the Mishnah very much supports Rabbah's position. That is, lo habi shaliach. He's not a shaliach, even if you make him with witnesses. So Rav Chizda has to have a way to read this Mishnah. Kedama Rav Chizda velikito. No, the shaliach doesn't really mean a shaliach that he had made a legal representative for himself. No, what he's talking about is either schiro, a hired worker, someone who works for him normally. So he asked this guy to go do it, but not as a formal shaliach, just like he's his laborer. So he went to go do it, but not because he was asked to do it or appointed due to it in any official way. Or Likito. Likito could either mean a different kind of a sharecropper, or it could mean someone who rents, uh, rents an apartment from this guy. So Rashi quotes from his Rebbeim, and Rashi also has his own opinion. It's always interesting when Rashi does that. He gives an interesting insight into Rashi's methodology. How much of Rashi's commentary is his own ideas, and how much is, is what he got from his teachers when he went to study in Germany? So the question is, is the vast majority mostly Rashi's innovative ideas, and sometimes he also quotes his rabbis? Or the alternative, is it mostly what he got from his teachers, and when he disagrees with them, he'll quote their opinion and he quotes his own as well? Uh, but it's an interesting question. How much, and, and the broader question, how much is Rashi, do, do we know? We don't know, because most of the manuscripts of Rabbeinu Gershom and things like that, many of those commentaries were lost. Uh, in the Middle Ages, you know, the, the early Ashkenazic uh, Perushim. Um, but that's the, that's the Masorah that Rashi was getting from. Um, but there's a whole study, you know, Rashi, how much was Rashi sort of a proto Balhatosfot? How much was he engaging in intergenerational dispute with the, with the previous uh, opinions? It's a fascinating question. Okay, so Hachanami Vizchi Ravilikito. So here too, Rav Chizda say, when it says Shaliach, it doesn't really mean a Shaliach. But if it was a real Shaliach, then it would work. That is, the, the Mishnah talking about the borrowing a cow it used the word shaliach but it doesn't really mean a shaliach it really meant a fake shaliach but if you made a real shaliach it would work so too in our Mishnah it says shaliach it really means a fake shaliach but if you had made a real shaliach with witnesses it would work yes is this Havamina also applying all those sugis and Kedushin that have to do with the Shaliyah and how much of latitude the Shaliyah has okay. on his own? So that's part of the question as well. So part of the question is that Shlichud in general, uh, you know, so many of those sugiot are in Kedushin, in the second parak, and part of it has to do with the Shaliyah for monetary question may be different or maybe not. Uh, the main Shaliyah that is different, we know for sure, is the shaliach kabbalah for kiddushin or for uh, get? That is when the woman creates a shaliach to stand in her place. According to the Rambam, the shaliach kabbalah, no matter what, does need witnesses because that's actually creating a, a, a new person with the same kind of agency. Um, as opposed to the shaliach to bring the kiddushin or to bring a get, something like that, where the person is not actually being transferred into the authority of the of the active parties in the kiddushin or the the get in the same way. It's just someone bringing something somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's actually very different. Here we see something similar. That is, at what point does it count like this money has actually been paid back or not? Right, so how much are you trying? Is it just putting it in the mail? Could this shaliach be replaced by a le- uh, an envelope? Or does the shaliach actually have a legal standing mm-hmm. to represent the person who sent the shaliach? That might require a higher 
level of, of uh, proof or, or, or agency which the witnesses could formalize in some kind of a way. But usually we don't see that a shaliach needs, uh, needs witnesses or any kind of real authorization. You just ask someone to do something that counts as shlichut in general. When we sell the chametz, uh, it's become very customary. Rambam talks about it actually already in the Rambam's time, almost, uh, what, 900 years ago, um, that when people make a shaliach now, they very often do a kinyan. They, do, uh, they use a handkerchief or a cell phone or something like that to appoint the shaliach, but it's actually totally meaningless. It just lends more weight or more gravitas to the, to the setting, but it doesn't actually accomplish any uh, legal, legal effect. It's just the Kenyan is there to kind of formalize that moment, but it doesn't serve any real purpose. Okay. So, we have another Mishnah. That is, we're going to ask a question now, again, on this machloka between Rav Chizda and Rabbah. We saw that Rav Chizda's position seemed to contradict by the Mishnah in Bav Metziah, and Rav Chizda had a way to read that Mishnah that was not problematic for him. So we have another Mishnah. This is a Mishnah coming up. This was from our Mishnah. So that is, this whole sugya is some external sugya that is only being quoted here because our Mishnah gets quoted as a source within the Mishnah, that, within the sugya. That is, this is a sugya about shaliach shasa obeidim. What's the status of a shaliach made with witnesses, rather than this is a sugya about our Mishnah. So our Mishnah is now being quoted as the source. Tanan, lo lo shlucho. Hai shlucho So what case does a shaliach mean in our Mishnah? Okay, obeidim. If it's a shaliach who has not made with witnesses, how do we know that he's the shaliach? It must be that he was made with witnesses. And nonetheless, sounds like from our Mishnah that it doesn't work. Ah, oh, good proof for Rabbah against Rav Chizda. So Targima, Rav Chizda, Rav Chizda explained it. Interesting is the word Targima. He translated it as if he, he transferred the meaning of the word uh, shaliach to what his example was that is what he said in the other Mishnah Mishnah of the Mitzvah as well a fake shaliach okay aval shaliach shasa obeidim but a shaliach who was really appointed with witnesses so my hachanami the havi shaliach so then he should then in, according to Rav Chizda a, a super powered shaliach who was made with witnesses would be able to accept the payment and now Michael asked a very good question which is why would anyone ever agree to that situation because it just minimizes the liability of the gazel okay so Adetani Seifa Aval Notein Hulishliach Beitin but the Seifa of the Mishnah said that if he paid the shaliach Beitin that that does work the shaliach Beitin is presumably an impartial third party that is, he paid it to the representative of the court, someone who has been hire, or hired or appointed by the Beit Din to, to deliver the money. So, so maybe we should divide it. That means to say that he should, if you look in the Hagot Habach, he kind of expands what that means. That is, the Mishnah must be talking about when it says it does not count, according to Rav Chizda, it must be a Shaliach who was not made with witnesses, but a Shaliach who was made with witnesses should be more comparable to the Shaliach Beit Din. Okay, so shaliach, so obeidim hachanami to have a shaliach. So shaliach who is made with witnesses should count as a shaliach. So amle lo psikale shaliach beitin lo shna aso nigzav lo shna aso gazlan. So why then? Why then? If we're going to say, according to Rav Chizda, the shaliach beitin and a shaliach shasa obeidim who is made with witnesses, those two should be comparable. That is, it counts as a shaliach. So then why did the Mishnah only say shaliach beitin and the Mishnah did not mention a shaliach who is made with witnesses, according to Rav Chizda. Why? Okay. The reason why is because shaliach shasa o beitin, the beitin appointed shaliach, is more general. In what sense? It doesn't matter whether he was appointed by the nigzal or was appointed by the gazlan. That is, because in the end, 
either one of them who asked the Beit Din to make this Shaliach, but the Beit Din was appointed by the Shaliach, so it counts as an impartial third party. So Havi Shaliach. So Paskile Shaliach. So Paskile. So that's why the Mishnah had quoted it that way. However, Shaliach Shasa Obeidim, a Shaliach who was made with witnesses by one of the two parties in the case, the Chiasa Onigzal, if the one who was stolen from made the Shaliach. Who dehave shaliach? That count, then he does count as a shaliach because then then the nigzal is forfeiting some of his his um, some of the gazlan's liability. That was exactly Michael's question. That is, if the nigzal is willing to give up those rights, then that's fine. However, asa o gazlan, if the thief made the shaliach, lo havi shaliach. So why can we say that in a mission? I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not like we're saying fifteen different you know. Uh, oh, but it would have been it would have it would have made the Mishnah much longer. Okay, so Rav Chizda, again, Rav Chizda and Rabbah had a machloket, and Rav Chizda is trying to explain how his position does not is not contradicted by the Mishnah. So he has to have a much more convoluted read of the Mishnah in order to defend his position. Does it fit the words of the Mishnah? Not so well. Can it fit the words of the Mishnah? Sort of. Right? So the point is that Rabbah's position seems much more reasonable based on the Mishnayot, but Rav Chizda has a way to read it. The Mishnah of Messiah also contradicts Rav Chizda's position in the plain sense meaning. Rav Chizda has to have a convoluted way to read it. So, okay. Okay. The Havi Shaliach, Asa Ogazun, Lo Havi Shaliach, Lo Paskei Then the Mishnah did not quote it. Ula Afuke Mehaitana. So it must be to... to Exclude or to contradict this other Tanaitic opinion, which Titania Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, because Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says Shaliach Beit Din Shasa O Nigzal the Lo Asa O Gazlan O Asa O Gazlan v'Shalach v'Halo Natalat Shalom Yado Patur. So according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, the distinction between whether the Nigzal made it and the Gazlan made it even applies to Shaliach Beit Din, not only. Like Rav Chizda said to the Shaliach Shasao Shasao Beidim, that one of the two litigants, uh, one of the two litigants made this Shaliach with witnesses, but actually that the Shaliach was appointed by the Beitim, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, that distinction, whether it was the Nigzal, the one who was stolen from, made the Shaliach, or whether the Gazlan, the thief, made the Shaliach, would apply as well. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar, the Amritar Bahu, so now we have a new Amoraic opinion about what's going on. That is, we've dealt with the question of Rav Chizda and Rabbah, and it seems like Rav Chizda's opinion can at least be made to fit with our Mishnah. Why did our Mishnah have to go in this convoluted way? On the one hand, the Mishnah was trying to contradict the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who the Halacha is not like. On the other hand, the Mishnah was trying to be concise in a way that would be easy to remember, so Rabbi Chizda's position has to be fit in between the words. And according to Rabbah, he has a much more plain sense meaning of how the Mishnah works. Correct. So now we're coming back to a different Amoraic discussion, a new, a new topic. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Elazar, da Amr Tavayhu, Shaliach, Havi Shaliach. According to Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar, they both say that a shaliach who is appointed with witnesses can count as a shaliach in our case. Seemingly. Okay. Mm. So then what is our Mishnah talking about? How can our Mishnah say that you can't use the shaliach? It was where the shaliach kind of like showed up. The shaliach poof appeared. It wasn't that the person had had uh, officially appointed shaliach in any way. He sort of said casually, a casual appointment of the shaliach. Okay, the mamtilo shaliach da amarle. He said to him, "Eat plania. I have some money by Plony's house. Velo kamishader luhu, and he's not going to give it to me. 
So like go and check him out and maybe the reason he hasn't paid me back is because he doesn't have anybody to send me the money. So if you go and visit with him, then maybe he'll be able to send me the money with you. But it wasn't like an official appointment, it was more casual. So that's the difference. The reason the Mishnah said it, that he, uh, the liability doesn't transfer is because it was a more casual appointment. He didn't actually say, you are my shaliach to go collect the money. He just sort of said, if you're going to go, maybe you can negotiate with him. Do me a favor. Right. While while you're there. Exactly. Three words. There's the aiding... Right. Then there's like official appointment and then there's this... Ah, so Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar, they're not addressing the middle case. He officially said, be my shaliach to collect this debt but without witnesses. They don't address that. They said, the Mishnah said he doesn't count as a shaliach when he did it kind of very casually but they said if he did it with witnesses it would work. They're not addressing what you said is that middle case that is a, a very official formal appointment but without witnesses. So that's a good observation. Okay. So Inami, alternatively, how can Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar understand our Mishnah? That is, how can the Mishnah fit with their opinion where they said shaliach shasa obeidim is a shaliach? Interestingly enough, also let's note two Babylonian Amoraim have a machloket about it and two Eretz Yisrael Amoraim both agree. So it's interesting also what's the provenance of this machloket. Um, okay. This No, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar must agree with Rabbi that we have to read the Mishnah as again, when it says shaliach, it doesn't really mean a shaliach. It really means someone who could have sort of been playing the role of the shaliach, someone who was a hired worker, someone who was in his, in his uh, household and would be doing him this favor, but not really a legal, legally appointed shaliach. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. A new topic. Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, says, Ein mishalchin ma'ot bidiukni. You cannot send money with a diukni. Now, I don't really know what a diukni is. We're going to have a few different explanations. Rokin Rashi. Masar lo bal ha-pikadon l'shaliach simanim. The one who owns the pikadon made some kind of an indication, simanim, a sign, the katavlo chotamo bi'igeret, and he wrote his signature on a letter. Okay? Umasaralo. And he gave it to him. Ve'amarlo, leich ve'hatre leploni, show it to ploni, ve'yitain l'chamaot sh'yesh l'viyado. That is, the shaliach is going to go and claim the pikadon, and the shomer who's watching the pikadon is going to say, how do I know that you're the, sh- you're the shaliach who was appointed by the owner? So he's going to say, look, I have an authorization. He signed the letter. He gave his signet ring, something like that. He wrote his mark. So that would be proof. And nonetheless, the opinion here of Rabbi Huda Shmuel, Amar Shmuel, you cannot send money with a diukni because a diukni is not high enough threshold of proof that the shaliach was actually sent by the rightful owner. Okay. Rafiu, even if there are witnesses who signed the diukni. The Rabbi Yochanan, Amar, Rabbi Yochanan said back, okay, if there are witnesses who signed it, then you could send it. That is because we know Rabbi Yochanan thinks that a shaliach who was made with witnesses is a good shaliach. So here too, a letter with the stamp of the original owner who has witnesses who signed on that letter, that's like a star authorizing the shaliach, so, seemingly, should be good enough to authorize the shaliach to function as a real like shaliach. It's like a notarized authorization, exactly. But the question is, how can we actually prove that this, this thing, this authorization, works to actually authorize this person to be the shaliach? We don't know that. 
All we know is this piece of paper says, I authorize whoever is holding this to collect them, you know, things like that. It's not necessarily clear that that should work in the halacha. Okay. Amri. Amri with Shmuel Ma'ita Kanta. So then you're going to say, so what, what solution is this? That is, because if you can't resolve it, then it's not going to help. So ki hadir rabbi abba, so we have a case now. In the case of Rabbi Abba, how the Masik Zuzi bid Rabbi Yosef Barchama. So Rabbi Abba had the money that he, he, that he had to, um, go collect, um, from Rabbi Yosef Barchama. I'm really Rav Safra. So, I didn't So he says, he said to Rav Safra to like, go get the money for him. Ki Azalahatam, when he got there, Amar Le Rabba Bray. So that is Rava, um, um, it's Rubber of Yosef. So Rubber of Yosef went to, said to him back, that is the son, the son of whoever was holding, had the money. Did he write for you a, a star that says Hitkabalti? That is authorization that when the Shaliach receives the money, it counts as if it's already been paid back. That is, that the liability will be on the Shaliach and not on the, the debtor. Because if the debtor pays it back, but there was no hitkabalti, that is, there's no authorization that it actually counts as having been transferred until it gets back to the other guy, then the shaliach won't be liable, he'll be liable, he'll have to pay a second time. So he said, did he write you a hitkabalti? He said, no. So he says, okay, so go back, go get a hitkabalti. I'm not going to give you the money until you have this authorization. That is, it's, it's too high of a risk for me right. to send the money with you. Right, exactly. Exactly. This is a part of the problem of the whole question of, of a shaliach that is at what point does the money actually change hands well if you have a third party it complicates things significantly and then you have a question of who's going to trust whom and how, how much is the risk and who's liable and all of that so Lasof at the end and as once he had gone and gotten the hitkabalti Amarle he said to him and even though you, you got the hitkabalti it's still worthless why? Maybe by the time you get back, Rabbi Abba will already have died, because Rabbi Abba presumably was very old at this time. And why? Because the hitkabalti only works for the person, the creditor who is written on the hitkabalti, but not for the the inheritance. So if he would have paid back, and Rabbi Abba would already have died, and then. So the, the Yorshim, the inheritors, will come and say, yeah, we never got the money, so they'll be able to claim a second time. So even though he had a Hikabalti that said that when it got to the Shaliach, he was paid, that only works for trying to pay back Rabbi Abba, but not for trying to pay back his descendants. So then, still, so this is a, now a very clever deduction by Rabbi Barav Yosef, that is, he's determined the whole, um, the whole, system whereby he's still undermined he first said okay maybe the answer is to have Hitkabalti and he said even Hitkabalti shouldn't work because there's a high risk now here's the question normally we're not concerned that a person is going to die you can send a korban you can send a shaliach to get married or get divorced all sorts of things we don't assume that a person would die while the shaliach is on the way so this is an interesting exception here it sounds like we would be concerned that he would die maybe it's because he was very old rather than a normal case where a person was not so old but it's an interesting question usually we say that we don't assume that you know even someone unless someone is incredibly you know terminally ill there's no concern that a person is going to die at the drop of a hat okay yeah in the okay but normally we don't worry about things like that but I'm saying like by marriage 
that wouldn't happen anyway. Okay, so that's an interesting yeah. distinction. Right. right. But with Korbanot, sometimes the Korban could also be transferred. Okay, yeah. fine. So, the money will fall to the inheritors. The Hitkabalti for Rabbi Abba is going to be worthless. Amarleh. So, that is, he said back to him, that is, Rav Safra said to Rabbi Bar Yosef, what's going to be the solution? How can I collect this money from you? You're not going to give me the money, so how am I going to go and bring it back to, how am I going to go and give it back to Rabbi Abba? Go and do a Kinyan Agav. Kinyan Agav means when you buy land, Agav, that is on the back of, but in a legal sense, um, all the stuff that's there affected by it, right? So it gets swept along. That is right. Sale. That is metaltolin. That is movable properties and monies and things like that could also be acquired on the back of the land. So he could sell him a one square ama piece of land, and then the money would be on to Rabbi Abba, and he could sell it to him by his shaliach, and then the money would transfer immediately to Rabbi Abba, not by the shaliach, but actually by the kinyan, then, and then that would affect the transfer of the money. So even if Rabbi Abba dies, the they would have already been sold at this point. piece of real estate right. and the gold coin chest that's on under the... Exactly. Okay, vita at tavlan hit kabalti. So then, as you, and you could, at that point, then the hit kabalti would work. Hiki ha derav papa ha the masik tracer alfei zuzei so when Rev Papa had 13,000 uh, uh, zoos that he had by Beit Chozai, so Akninhu Nihalei, the Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, Agav, and he had acquired it back from Rav Shmuel Bar Abba by Kinyan Agav, so from even from the threshold of his house, that is, they used a very small piece of land, just the, 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 the thing on the bottom of the door that the door goes on. The opposite of the lintel. The lintel is the top. So, the, the threshold. The threshold. Okay. So, when he finally got to town, he went out to greet him so far even until Tavach. That is, he was so excited to see him. Now, you're going to say, Rapapa was excited because he got back his 13,000 dinars? No. Rapapa was excited because they had solved this halachic problem. That is, they had developed a methodology or, or a method for avoiding some of these complications regarding sending money by shaliach, that is, if you find a way to do it by Kidan Agav, it cuts out the middleman. There's a way to authorize someone to transfer the money directly so that the liability won't, won't be exempted in that case. A small question. So sure. I owe you $100 and, you know, you die. And, but, so doesn't that money automatically by the rules of Yerusha go to the... the Correct. The but the problem would be if you had sent the money with a shaliach, with a hitkabalti, and then I had died... I had died before you gave it to the shaliach. Then, when you give it to the shaliach, the kabalti no longer works because the kabalti could only be written for me, not for my yorship. It's actually a technical legal thing here. In other words, it right. really was not given to you, Gareth the shaliach, because you don't exist anymore. Right. In a way. That that authorization... It can't go to probate right. It, it got suspended mid... It well, never really the hit works. Yeah, it never hit ka- right? Think about what the word hit means. Hit means I received it. Right, so it was only... Right. right, it was only authorized by the person right. to whom the debt was never, originally owed. Never went into your state. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. So the, the Mishnah had said, Natan lo That is, there was a distinction 
that said even if you had paid back the Karen, you still have to go as far as Madai to pay back the Chomesh as well, the 25%. So Natan lo Karen. He had already paid back the Karen, the principal value. Alma Chomesh Mamonahu. It seems obvious from this that Chomesh, that is 25% additional payment, is a Mamon, is a monetary payment and not a Knas. We saw already there was previously in Bavakam we had the whole discussion about Chatzinezek Mamonahu, Chatzinezek Knasahu, things like that. We had the question about Kesel as well. Kesel seems obvious and Dalit Vahey seems obvious our Knasot. So here, Chomesh, Alma Chomesh Mamonahu. Sounds like Chomesh is a monetary payment, not a Knas. Because you, even if you had already paid back the Karen, you still have an obligation to go as far as Madai to pay back the Chomesh as well. Okay. The Imayit, Mishamila Yarshin. And if you die, you still have to pay back, uh, the, uh, sorry, if the thief died, even his, um, his inheritors, his, his descendants have to pay the Chomesh as well. That sounds like, again, a proof that it's a monetary lien and not a fine, because fines wouldn't transfer to the descendants. Okay, the Tanan Nami, and we had a Mishnah that taught as well. Natanet HaKeren, he had already paid the principal value, Venishpal HaChomesh, and he took an oath about the Chomesh. Harei Mosif Chomesh Al Chomesh. Then, if he was proven to have been lying about the Chomesh, then he has to pay Chomesh for the Chomesh. What's 25% of 25% is going to be, right, 1 16th. 1 16th is point zero. it's like six and a half, six and a quarter percent. So, so, okay, Alma Chumshamamonahu. So that's, again, it sounds like proof that Chomesh is itself a monetary value because if you could pay a Chomesh on a Chomesh, what that means is that compounded Chomesh sense is exactly that it's being treated like a normal monetary debt and not like uh, any kind of a fine. It's not, it's just, so it's Mamon. It's, it's Mamon. It's not a Knas. It's not a Knas. So it sounds a lot like interest, does it not? Oh, I don't know, interest. What do you mean? Well, in other words, it's like this is more money that you owe me. It's money that you owe because the Torah said when you steal and you swear about it, then you have to pay 25%. So that's... Um, okay, it sounds like a knas. Ah. Okay, so that's part of the question. Meaning, so the Torah, the Torah imposed... It's not it's mamon. It sounds like a kind of repeat almost. Well, but that's a knas repeat. So that's okay. So it gets into an interesting space, which is what you're saying, which is that the Torah has imposed this kind of a penalty. I don't want to say penalty because then it makes it like a class. Yeah, so right. What so is what is it? Exactly. That's why it's in, in this ambiguous state. We're learning from these Mishnayot that the way it's treated is treated like Mamon. It might be that at a technical level somehow it really is a class at its core but the way that knas is expressed. I mean the same thing with Chatzinezek, right? Chatzinezek we saw as well. Chatzinezek is it a knas kind of a payment? It's like yeah, it should have been nothing. It should have been nothing, but it, it was up to chatzinezek because you should have been watching it. Or is chatzinezek like a mamon? Like okay, you're only half liable. Yeah, those kind mean, of what questions. Do you mean it's with you? Right. So those kind of questions here too. You're dealing with an ambiguous kind of a payment, and that's why there's this debate back and forth. It sounds like so the the gemara's suggestion so far has been from our mishnah. It sounds like al machomish mamonahu. It sounds like it's mamon. Okay, vitanya. Okay, vitanya namihachi. We have another brisa. What says what? Hagozel chaveiro, a person stole from his friend. Vinishbalo, and he swore about it, and he swore it falsely. Umate, and he died. Yorshin mishal min keren vechomish. Upeturim min ha'asham. 
the inheritors have to pay the principal value and they have to pay the Chomesh, 25% additional, but they are exempted from being the Korban Asham. Korban Asham, well, that seems obvious because the Korban is for the, the criminal, criminal, right, the Kapara for having taken a false oath is to take the Korban Asham. So obviously, the inheritors, the descendants, don't have an obligation to bring this Korban. Okay, Yorshim, Bnei Shilumi Chomesh, and that, that so too the descendants have an obligation to pay the chomesh of their father, and that proves okay. Okay, Uramini. So we have a contradiction. So when does a person not have to pay chomesh for the theft that his father had committed? Bizman shelo nishba. It's only when none of them had sworn. Neither the father had sworn before he died, and also the son hasn't taken an oath about it. Okay. So once the father had died, now the son has the liability to pay back the Karen. So if he swore, no, 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 I, my father never stole from you. So if he takes that oath and then was proven to have been lying, he would have to pay a Chomesh as well. Right, that's the point. So who, velo aviv, aviv velo who, who aviv minayin, how do I know that any of those other possibilities, that is, if one of them or both of them had taken an oath, they would have to pay Chomesh? Tamod asher gazal, asher asak. Whoever stole it and whoever cheated. The who, lo gazal, velo ashak. But the son never cheated. The son never stole. So if the son never stole, how can his having taken an oath about the fact that his father stole obligate him to pay Chomesh. That doesn't make sense. Ah, okay. It makes it sound like that it's a pun- it's a punishment for having taken the oath and not a payment about having done something wrong. You don't have to pay it. Right. Okay. So Amar Rav Nachman is whether or not he had admitted to it or not. Okay. If he had not admitted it, Karen Nami If he then he doesn't have to pay the Karen until the witnesses come. So when he comes back to pay the Chomesh, remember the Karen Mishalim, it comes to say that he has to pay the Karen, the principal value, the Ode. So, of Otanya. So we have the, another, or a similar version of this Brisa. The Adain and Yemir. I will continue to say, when does he have to pay even the, just the principal value of the theft from his father? That is, his father had told him he has to pay back the Karen. It's when he and his father had sworn about it, or Aviv, Velohu, his father and not him, who, Velo Aviv, or he and not his father, Lohu, Velo Aviv, Minayin. How do I know if neither of them had sworn that he still has to pay back the Karen? So, the stolen object is still there. Something that was stolen, he has to pay back. The object itself. Meaning it's not about the, whether or not you swore about it. So the Karen is going to be dependent on the fact of whether or not it was a stolen thing. And the Chomesh, seems like, is going to be dependent on whether or not you took the oath. So, the answer, Yesh Talmud. So he that's what he says. If he doesn't admit that he's stolen, and there's no aging that comes, at that moment, how do you know this is a stolen object? Ah, okay, right. So that's the other thing. Well, there's at least a claim about it. Claim. Right. Right. So working with the claim. So how does Avedon pick a So the other ones also, right? If, if you have a lost object and you're trying to claim it for yourself and the owner comes and says, that's my object, uh-huh. that's basically a kind of theft, right? Right. Not returning a lost object is a kind of a theft. Kind of theft. Right? Yeah. And you would have to take the same kind of a... The next necessity, for sure. Okay. 
perplexing words, Yesh Talmud. What does that mean? Right? That's like the end of that Brita. Vyativ Ravhuna. Ravhuna was sitting and teaching this. De Kamar Lahashma. So then he was saying this Brisa. Amar Le Rabba Bray, Rabba, his son, said, Yesh Talmud Kamar Mar. Did my master say, quote, Yesh Talmud? Oh, Yishtalmu Kamar Mar. Or did he say, Yishtalmu? They have to pay it back. Okay. In other words, that would make much more sense. They would say, like, oh, those four things you have to pay back, right? So this is, he was, like, interpreting it in his mind. Samar Le, Yesh Talmud Kamar. Kamina. I said, quote, Yesh Talmud. Umiribuya decry um, Amri. I, I, they said it because based on the inclusion of the, those in the pasuk. That is, it's some kind of a drasha to include not just the gzeila and oshek, but aveda and pikadon. That is, because of how those are grouped in the Torah, in the context of the chomesh and in the context of the korban asham. So yesh talmud means it's learned from a drasha yeah, in some way. Yeah, that phrase means there's a, a midrash halacha. Right, exactly. So that is what Rav Huna was saying. That is, Rav Huna said, no, 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 don't try to, like, reinterpret what I said, yesh talmud, they have to be paid. No, 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 no. I said yesh talmud. Yesh talmud means there's some further midrash halacha about this. Okay, fine. Yibuzi Kramri. Ella, my, lohuda. So what does it mean? In the case with Lohoda, he did not admit. Lohoda Aviv. It was in a case where the father had not admitted. However, Vehoda Beno. But the son did admit it. Otherwise, like you're saying, if there are no witnesses, then how could he be obligated? And the son will be obligated in a Chomesh for his own Shvua. So Amre, if the stolen object does not exist anymore, if the stolen object does not exist anymore, then you don't even have to pay back the Karen because the Gazlan, if the thief is dead and the stolen object disappeared or was sold or something, so then there's nothing left for the son to do. He can't give back the stolen object. He didn't steal it himself, so he can't make any personal restitution. So there's nothing left for him to do. So let's read. No, we have to have it says like this. Why? What about a case where the stolen property had had some kind of achrayis? Now achrayis usually refers to real estate. Real estate is something that can have a tangible accountability. It can't go away. So then what kind of case are we talking about? Are we talking about a property that has that liability? So my it must be there was a loan that was taken without a star, that is a, an orally agreed upon loan. Okay, and an oral loan could not be extracted either from the descendants of the person who made the original uh, made the loan. Uh, and not from the people who bought the property that is you borrowed this uh, money and you bought a piece of land and then it was sold, sold, uh, sold to someone else you can't extract from them right right so oh so maybe we'll say it was a case where they had already gone to court about it so but if they had already gone to court then I could even make him pay Chomesh that is not just the Karen but even the Chomesh as well no, the reason why you don't pay Chomesh is because you don't pay Chomesh for Karka, for lying about the ownership of land. Why? Because we generally say Karka in an exelus. You can't steal land or the Halachot regarding theft don't apply to land in the same way. Rava said it was like this case that we're talking about. 
Diskia shel aviv mufkede biyad achirim. I don't know what a diskia is. Do you want to tell me what this key is? David, you have the article? I read on top of Kufayam with us. From the Greek? Yeah, the Greek word. Yeah. Uh, in the case where the father's pouch. It's a double saddle bag on an animal. So let's say it's some kind of a wallet or something like that, yeah? Uh, there's a note here that's pouch. It, it says here, this is contradiction, uh, contraction of two sakim. Two, two bags. Oh, double saddle bag. Yeah. With two compartments, that's right. Oh, yeah. Okay, but the point is that he had this bag, right? Yeah. Okay. The father's saddlebag, which presumably had a lot of money in it, was in somebody else's control. So Karen Mishalim, the he pays the Karen because the the principal object still exists. Chomesh Lo Mishalim. He doesn't pay Chomesh. Why? Because when he swears, he's swearing truthfully. Why? Because he didn't know about it. Meaning he doesn't know how much money is there. He doesn't know what was stolen because it's in a closed bag. All he knows is that this guy, um, that it's in somebody else's control. So when he said, oh, my father didn't steal it, well, maybe he's saying, my father doesn't have this thing because it's in somebody else's control, something like that. Or the money that was put into that bag, he doesn't know what was there. So therefore, the fact that he swore about it, he swore truthfully. In other words, he could be swearing an, an oath which is simultaneously true, true enough that he doesn't pay Chomesh, but false enough that it doesn't get him off the hook from paying entirely. And that's basically the point, which is that he said, uh, he admitted partially and he, he was lying somewhat, but not enough to make him pay the Chomesh. So that's why that would be a case, an alternative explanation for when you could only be liable that the son will have to pay the Karen and not the Chomesh. So the number of possibilities, either it was based on the transfer of this through the inheritance, but we don't pay, you don't pay Chomesh for land, or number two, that it was a case where it was this closed bag. Like, he knows that the bag was stolen, he doesn't know how much property was in it, so that's why he can't take an oath about what was stolen. Uh, so those are the possibilities. We'll pick up tomorrow. Kuf, hey, have a wonderful day.